I want to tell you about Tiny Talkers group curriculum. If you're an SLP looking for more work-life balance and a fresh way to do things in your private practice, then the Tiny Talkers group curriculum might be just what you're looking for. Tiny Talkers groups are set up as a way to provide accessible speech and language support to young children in a small group setting. Our friend Megan Samuels, creator of Tiny Talkers, has done all the planning for you. When you sign up for the curriculum, you get a full 36-week program divided into summer, fall, winter, and spring semesters. The plans are easy to implement and adjust as needed to meet the needs of your clients. They include material checklists and parent handouts for each session. And the best part is, Megan designed each week so that all the materials you'll need can fit into one sensory bin. So once you get your group set up, you're done. In the years that follow, you'll pull out that bin and go. No planning, no stress, just fun. If you want to learn more about Tiny Talkers, go to tinytalkersgroupcurriculum.com to check it out. Make sure to use our code BOOKCLUB10 at checkout to get 10% off your order. We love Tiny Talkers Group Curriculum, and we know you'll love it too. You're listening to the SLP Book Club. We're your hosts, Adrian Frost and Laura Geyser. This month, we're reading Age of Opportunity by Dr. Lawrence Steinberg. Let's get into it. Hi, Adrian. Hi, Laura. Welcome back to the SLP Book Club podcast. It's a new year. We're reading a new book, Age of Opportunity by Dr. Lawrence Steinberg. For today's episode, we're going to cover the introduction and chapter one, but first we're going to play this or that, and I have a good one, Adrian, for you. I could tell when you said, I got one, (laughs) it was like you were feeling a little smug, so go ahead, I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) All right, this or that, late night snacking or Facebook stalking? (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Why are those the options? (laughs) picture it's late at night like put late night in front of both of those like it's before bed is your like guilty pleasure to have a little snack or to stalk someone on social media let's put instagram in there if you need to okay well this is an interesting question i'm not really like a snacker like that i snack during the day i guess but um late night it's not for me. I've always wondered about those people who like the concept of midnight snack. Whoa, crazy. Like, are you Santa? What's happening? <laughs> so I guess I have to choose Facebook stalking by default. Okay. But I think I'm more of like a late night TikToker. Yeah. Okay. And I know you don't have TikTok. And I'm like, really proud of you for that. Because it is kind of addicting. And I actually wanted to mention to you, do you know what is trending on TikTok right now? No. You don't because you don't have TikTok. So I'll tell you. What's trending? The North Sea. What? (laughs) The North Sea, the body of water. (laughs) Like people are curious about it? It's people are traveling to it? What? It's like these videos. It's like when you linger too long on a video, they serve you up more. I know. They're like, oh, you like that. And I'm like, I don't like love the North Sea, but I'm here for it. So it's this song that's like an old sailor or pirate song, but it's sang by like this like bass choir. So it's like these really deep voices that are like, yo, ho, man, the sails. And it's like this really long, like kind of like a funeral, like, what is that word? Funeral dirge? Uh-huh. Yeah, dirge. That's right. So it's like a like this like low slow song, and then just like 
images and videos of the North see these like huge waves, kind of like a, what's that fishing show? Deadliest Catch. Yeah. Kind of like that kind of a vibe. And I don't know, like the comments are always like, wow, am I like so scared that I'm just going to suddenly like be on the North Sea and like my life is at stake? Like that's the vibe. That's what people are worrying about now, huh? The North Sea. (laughs) You have to go to Scotland or Denmark to like be at the North Sea, but like it's scary. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Okay. I feel like I have to look this up to understand it, which is going to lead me down some like dark sea or what's it called? North Sea rabbit hole. North Sea. Um, (laughs) So this question, I feel like I can see myself doing the same thing. I try to stay off any form of social media at night for that reason. Because if for some reason I go onto Instagram at night, you're just more likely to like end up on one person's account going through all their posts. Why? Sometimes it's not even like someone you know. You'll see this random momfluencer and you like have to learn everything, right? Yeah. You have to see every post she's ever done. (laughs) And then you're like, I got in bed 30 minutes ago. What's happened to me? It's really out of control. It just feels like things to occupy our monkey brains, you know? Okay, so I do want to tell you this happened to me because I do have TikTok on my phone. I just would say I go to it maybe once every couple of weeks. Wow. Which I know is not (laughs) usual for TikTok is like known for being able to really suck you in. Yes. But when you told me about that TikToker, Maddie something, with the list of things that are embarrassing for no reason, (laughs) I... Could not stop watching her videos. Like she's just sitting in her car making lists of things. And I am like totally captivated. Every single thing she says, I agree with. I've never. And then I sent it to my sister and my sister goes, oh, I watch her all the time. Like there is no person I agree with more than her. Oh my God. I'm so glad she has a platform to share her opinions. Yeah, me too. Me too. We would never know about these people if it weren't for TikTok. So thank you, TikTok. Okay, give me a this or that. Okay, this or that. Shower or tub? Oh, shower. Shower. What about you? I wish it was a like it, love it, leave it. And it was like shower, tub, sauna, you know, something weird. Okay, so you're a big shower. -er. Well, something about the tub. Just, I'm always worried about like the level of cleanliness of the tub. Like even if you clean your tub all the time, it's also where... You shower usually. I mean, I know some bathrooms have a separate bath from the shower, but my bath is in my shower. Mm. That's where my feet go when I'm showering. Mm. And then if I am going to take a bath, I do feel the need to shower off first. So I would shower, then run the bath. And I need the bath to be like an uncomfortable level of heat. Yeah. So it's just this issue of like, is there enough hot water for me to shower first? Make sure I'm already clean before I get in the bath. The bath is never going to be where I'm cleaning myself. Like the bath is for I'm sick and I really or I have like a muscle ache and I need to take an Epsom salt bath or something like that. It's, it's for a reason. It's not just like I'm going to have a glass of wine and read a book in the bathtub. No, 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 no. not for me. It's for me. Surprise, it's for me. (laughs) Okay, so I have to pick shower because like that's what I do most often. I would never clean myself in the bath, but I like do love a relaxing bath moment. I feel it forces me to like stop and do something for myself for like an hour. Okay. But this horrible thing has been happening. So I've lived in this house for about six months and I've used the bathtub twice. And after the second time, 
So my bedroom is on the second floor and I have a separate bath from my shower because I have the master, right? Ooh. So I'm downstairs and I'm looking all of a sudden at the ceiling directly under my bathtub and there's like a stain on the ceiling. Oh, no. And I'm like, huh, I don't think that was there before. So then, you know, the plumber has to come, this whole thing, and the tub or the shower is leaking. They have to cut into the drywall to fix it. It's going to be like this huge ordeal. It's going to take at least a week. And I haven't been able to use the bathtub. And it's been like so sad. You know, the holidays are so stressful. It'd be really nice to like have a moment. I've been buying these. I was influenced. I was influenced on social media. They got me with an ad. (laughs) Uh They're like these like magnesium salt baths. And you like put these like salt mixtures into the bath. And it like, I don't know, I felt kind of, I felt altered the last time I used one. (laughs) I was like in the bath. I was like, whoa, I feel pretty relaxed. (laughs) So I just bought a three pack. Yeah. Just soaking that magnesium in through all the skin, which we know is the largest organ in the body. Yeah. I I did not get that trivia question right. And I would now. (laughs) Yeah. So that's my bathtub debacle right now. It's It's sad, honestly. But soon I will be back to bathing and I'll probably be more relaxed. Okay, I want to do one more. Cadbury's or Hershey's? Um, Cadbury? I mean, it's weird when you ask me that because all I could think was Cadbury egg. Okay. Which I do love around Easter. I'm really into that filling. I love that they like color the middle orange and it's like, it's the yolk of the egg, you know, but it doesn't taste different. Really love that. Um, And I feel like Hershey's chocolate is like a little cheap. Like, it's a little, like, chalky or something. I don't know. Yeah. How about for you, Laura? I mean, I feel like Cadbury is also cheap. For some reason, when I read the question, I was kind of thinking that it was a question of, like, foreign chocolate versus American chocolate. But where's Cadbury from? England. I went to more, like, Kinder. I think that's what I was thinking of. Kinder. Oh, Kinder. Kinder Do you like chocolate. a Kinder egg? Um, I like a Kinder egg. My favorite thing is the Kinder Bueno bar that you can get at every grocery store here. The Bueno Bar. Have you gotten it? No. Tell me about it. Love to know. It is so light and creamy and like flaky. It is the most delicious little bar. Oh my God. It's like eating air that tastes delicious. The Kinder Bueno Bar. Amazing. It's really hard for me to resist when I'm in the grocery store, in the checkout aisle of a grocery store. Okay. I'm going to get one. I'll try it and I will report back and tell the people what they need to know. Would you... It's my opinion okay, on the Kinder Bueno great. bar. <laughs> so I think even though I didn't answer the question, I think in general, we're just like leaving Hershey's, you know, we don't really need it. I like yeah. a Hershey's kiss every once in a while. Same. It is a Christmas vibe. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Okay. Let's take a quick break and then we'll get back to discuss Age of Opportunity. Hi, guys. I'm happy to announce that I've just launched my new app called Say Hello. It's a speech sound practice app designed for parents of children who are receiving speech therapy for articulation and intelligibility impairments. Think of this app as a quick and engaging way for parents to complete speech homework without the fuss of those practice packets that we photocopy and they just are never seen again. It makes practice sessions easy and accessible while also helping parents to be natural coaches and know exactly how to cue their child to make their speech sounds correctly. So we all know that children who practice their speech sounds daily are more likely to make progress. This means the more they practice with the child, the less time will be spent in speech therapy and more confidence for their child. 
Say Hello provides parents with quick, guided practice sessions that they can do anywhere. Working in conjunction with their speech therapist, they pick the sound the child needs to work on and follow the provided prompts. Parents select the time that works best for them to receive notifications, and they can complete a practice session in three to five minutes. So we offer a free seven-day trial, and after that, it's just $4.95 a month. Check it out wherever you get your apps. Have you checked out Laura's speech materials yet on Teachers Pay Teachers or Boom Learning under Laura G. SLP? I am such a huge fan, and I'm here to sing her praises. <laughs> Since I'm a teletherapist, I use Boom cards almost exclusively during my sessions. As with all things in speech, sometimes the most unexpected materials are a hit with the kiddos. My students love Laura's What Did You Find activities that feature a fun flashlight to look for different items. And her lid comb handouts for parents on TPT are also amazing. And I love to use them with private clients. She also has some great game type reinforcers like the picture reveal activities and a connect for donut game that I've been playing on repeat with one student for months. <laughs> the best part is that I can use almost all of her materials with a range of kids who have different levels of needs. This helps you get the most bang for your buck. Her materials are well thought out, evidence-based, and fun and engaging for the kids. We can't all be creative geniuses, so we might as well support and benefit from those who are. Thanks for sharing your genius with us, Laura. Go check them out today at Laura G. SLP on Boom Learning and TPT. Okay, welcome back. Let's get started with the introduction to Age of Opportunity by Dr. Lawrence Steinberg. I guess we're going to be calling him Dr. Steinberg. I guess. So I'm going to try not to be super repetitive. The intro and chapter one are a little repetitive. Did you get that vibe? Yeah, I mean, I found them both to be informative. Yeah. He starts by saying that our adolescents are trailing the world in measures of academic achievement, but lead in violence, unwanted pregnancy, STDs, abortion, binge drinking, marijuana use, obesity, and unhappiness. So there's something wrong with our approach to raising adolescents. Whoa, quite the list. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And, you know, I just want to say, as we start this book, I feel like there are going to be some topics that could be a little triggering for people or that people might disagree with. Once again, we always just want to say we're sharing the information that's presented in this book. Not all of it will be something we agree with. I mean, we'll share when we don't share the same opinion as Dr. Steinberg. But from all of these books, it's like take what's valuable to you. And if you disagree, it's just you disagree. Yeah. Take what matters. Leave the rest. Yeah. It's not for everyone all the time, right? Yes. Okay. So the approach we've been using when we raise adolescents is full of misunderstanding, uncertainty, and contradiction. We don't know whether to treat them as adults or children. And this is shown when we try 12-year-old criminals as adults, but then don't allow 20-year-olds to buy alcohol. It's like we're so confused about where they stand, you know. And adults in general are more confused about this time than the actual adolescents. So he tells this story to demonstrate this of his friend who's also a psychologist who asked him to come over and watch his son because he needed to go pick up his daughter who had been caught shoplifting at a store. And she had plenty of money, straight A student, but her and her friends were all shoplifting things they could have easily bought. And the friend of Dr. Steinberg's, the psychologist, wanted her to go to a therapist and try to understand why she was doing it. And at the time, Dr. Steinberg agreed and thought it was a good idea. But since he's done all this research, he's changed his mind. 
he is in favor of psychotherapy when teens have depression or obvious emotional or behavioral problems, but that wasn't the case here. And probing wasn't going to find some deep-seated problem. He just says it was important to hold her accountable and punish her in some way, like grounding her or taking away a privilege. But she shoplifted because she thought it would be fun to get away with something. And it's just a lot more simple than we think. I do feel like that. Like we always want to like, well, we just talked about in the last episode, ask why. But sometimes things are more simple. He doesn't go into detail, but he says he's going to explain more about this later in the book, which I'd be curious to know. I was never a shoplifter, but I did have a lot of friends and people I knew that did shoplift. Teenage girls shoplift. Yes, they do. Why do they do it? I don't know. You know, it was making me think about those celebrities that got caught shoplifting. Why not a writer? Yes. Like you have so much money, you don't have to do this. But something about the thrill. Mm -hmm. And I am. He hooked me with that story. I was like, okay, I want to know more about this. I'm here. I'm listening. Tell me. Yeah. (laughs) So he says over the past two decades, there have been huge advances in the scientific study of adolescents that allow us to better work with these kids and understand them more. But the knowledge just hasn't really reached enough people to change the way that we're raising and educating adolescents. There are two intersecting sets of changes that he's going to synthesize and explain in this book. First, how adolescence as a life stage has been transformed, requiring us to change how we raise and educate them. And then second, our knowledge about adolescent development, which shows why what we've been doing isn't working. Then he goes into what his history is, basically why we should listen to him. He's a developmental psychologist who specializes in adolescence, has worked for 40 years in the field, conducted research on tens of thousands of young people in the U.S. and around the world. And he says most books on this age group are written from the perspective of a parent or teacher, but this is from the perspective of a researcher. And he places more weight on objective scientific evidence And the studies he's done have included adolescents across cultures and socioeconomic statuses. He includes his own research and that of other scientists in this book. He says in recent years, the use of brain science to understand human nature has come under attack. And he shares the concerns of people who say it's leading to misunderstandings. Like sometimes it is. Sometimes people do use studies like, well, studies show this about the brain. And you're like, well, I don't know. He uses brain science, but is not saying that everything adolescents do is dictated by biology alone or is fixed. We're learning that it's possible to influence their lives for the better, that the environment is very important to their brain. And he says people attack brain science when it comes to the adolescent brain because they say you're using pseudoscience to oppress adolescents and say that they have an immature cerebral cortex. And while we shouldn't falsely stereotype teenagers, it is well established that there are big changes in the brain's anatomy and functioning from puberty to early adulthood. It's not biased to point out that adolescents' brains are still developing and are less mature than they will be as adults. He uses the word adolescence to refer to the time period between the ages of 10 and 25, which might be a surprise to people who think it's more like 12 to 18? Yes, yes. What do you picture when you hear adolescence? Like a high schooler. Yeah. (laughs) This really surprised me. I was like, wow, okay. Interesting. So technically, that term has always referred to the period between puberty and when a person gains economic and social independence from their parents. So when we think about that, we're really thinking of like, Mm. you know, the olden days where, I don't know, because there were less hormones in our food, you 
reach puberty later and then you like might have been married when you were 18 right right or started a career i don't know crazy so he says since since it ends when you gain economic and social independence from your parents going all the way up to 25 is pretty accurate nowadays and we also know that the brain is still developing up until that point what you need to know for this book is that the period of time when people are no longer children but are not yet independent adults has grown longer and continues to grow and it's led to misdirection and inconsistency in the way we treat them but there are some marginal improvements like teens nowadays drink less there's a little bit less crime and less teen pregnancy which kind of contradicts what he says I don't know. He kind of goes back and forth on this. But we've put so much into making those improvements, so much money and time and effort, and we still lag behind other developed countries on measures of achievement and health. So if we had a better understanding and approach to raising them, we could accomplish much more. Yeah. That was the introduction. Adrian, has he hooked you yet? Are you excited to learn? Yes. I mean, I was surprised to hear his age range for adolescence. That really surprised me. And... I'm definitely interested to learn more. I don't spend a lot of time pondering adolescence, so I think it's going to be <laughs> informative. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so chapter one is called Seizing the Moment. We used to think that brain development was more or less done by the end of childhood, but new research shows us that the brain continues to develop well into the 20s, and adolescence itself is changing. Like I said, we have earlier puberty on one end and then the extended transition into careers, marriages, and financial independence. Earlier puberty is a bigger problem than most realize. There's greater risk for physical, mental, and behavioral problems, including depression and cancer. I saw this at schools I've worked at. I remember in particular a third grade girl who had already developed breasts and started her period. Wow. You know, and... It was really confusing to the parents what was going on with her because you just did not expect a third grader. Like, I feel like even fifth grade is a little seems yeah. early to start puberty. I don't know. It is interesting yeah. that that's happening now earlier and earlier puberty. But delayed transition into adulthood isn't as bad, even though I feel like we as a society focus more on that, like, oh, look at him. He still lives at home with his mom. Yeah. We focus on that, like, why can't this person become an adult and gain independence? And we're not looking at that earlier puberty as, like, the big problem it is that puts you at greater risk for a bunch of problems later. Right. He thinks that people in their mid-20s are unfairly criticized for that delayed transition into adulthood. Mm. The most important reason to rethink how we're raising adolescents is the discovery that it's a period of tremendous neuroplasticity. And we've talked about this before in other books. There's the potential to change through experience. We know that birth to three is the most well-known period of heightened neuroplasticity. And then adolescence is a second period. And we've recognized for a long time the importance of, you know, intervening and, and really being responsive during the zero to three age that's so important for child development. And then we have to do that same thing with the adolescents now that we realize how plastic their brain is. But neuroplasticity is good and bad. There's tremendous opportunity, but there's also great risk. So if you have a positive, supportive environment, it'll lead to flourishing but a toxic environment can lead to suffering. Okay, so it's only in the last 25 years that scientists have really realized that there are systematic and predictable changes in the adolescent brain and that they are highly impacted by the environment. 
And then there's a significant drop in plasticity as we enter adulthood. It doesn't just allow for positive change. It can also have really negative effects. So if you think about a baby who's read to and responded to versus the baby who's neglected or abused and has long-lasting damage. Neuroplasticity in adolescence is only good news if we take advantage of it and provide positive experiences and protect these kids from harmful ones. Now we're going to get to a pretty dark part of the chapter called Causes for Concern, where he's just going to hit us with a bunch of statistics that are super depressing. Oh, no. A lot of the progress that was made at one point in this age group has stalled. Drug use is on the rise. Attempted suicide, bullying, and remedial education among college freshmen are all up. We aren't protecting kids from harm or promoting positive development. And it isn't a lack of funding because we spend more money on secondary and post-secondary education than almost any other country in the world. But the money is being spent on unproven, ineffective programs designed to protect teens from drinking, drug use, unprotected sex, and reckless driving. $6 billion are spent every year incarcerating adolescents, often for nonviolent crimes. Performance on standardized tests in high school has not improved since the 70s, and other countries spend less on schooling and have a lot higher achievement rates. The problem really is at the high school level, where we are especially behind in math and science, and remedial education for kids in their first year of college costs us $3 billion per year. We used to have the highest college graduation rates, but now we don't even make the top 10, and a third of students who enroll in college never graduate. And then he gets into mental and physical health. So kids are abusing alcohol more. Daily marijuana use is higher than it has been in 20 years. Nearly a third of young women in the U.S. will get pregnant at least once by age 20, which was very surprising to me. A third. A third. Wow. We lead in teen pregnancy and STDs. And one third of sexually active teens don't even use any protection against STDs. So not good. Thanks. All that work going towards. <laughs> Thanks for that depressing <laughs> <Not happening>. information. <laughs> so we're going to keep going. Let's keep going with this. Um, the birth rate among unmarried women increased by 80% from 1980 to 2007, which increases the risk of them stopping their education. Yeah. It decreases lifetime earnings and increases your odds of living in poverty. He talks a little bit, which I don't, I don't know. I guess this shows my bias. He goes into all the risks once you have unmarried mothers, that it undermines their quality of parenting, stunts intellectual growth of children, and that those children are more likely to have babies outside of marriage as well. But because my sister has kids and isn't married, I was like, no. (laughs) So I feel like we all come at this with our own attitudes about these things. Because as I read it, I was like, what is he talking about? (laughs) My sister's kids are fine. I know. It was like it had a little bit of a judgmental tone. I don't think he was intending that, but it was hard not to feel a little defensive, right? Reading it. Yeah, of course. So things like that are going to come up for people as we read this book, but you just have to take the good stuff too, even if you disagree or or it's not even about disagreeing. It's about, it's about (laughs) feeling defensive. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And then he talks about aggression. 40% of high school boys in the U.S. have been in a physical fight. Of these, more than one in 10 needed medical attention. Mm. We have the highest rate of violent deaths among adolescents. And another one that just blew my mind, nearly 10% of high school males regularly carry a gun. Don't like to hear that. 
I've never thought about that. Why? <laughs> yeah, just in case. Each year, 8% of teachers are physically threatened by students. And in more than 150,000 of these incidents, teachers are physically attacked. Two-thirds of high schools have security who carry firearms. Wow. So that's all terrifying. And yeah. then 20% of all high school-aged boys take prescription medication for ADHD, which is nearly double the prevalence of ADHD among boys this age. Interesting. So just to reiterate, the amount of kids taking medication for ADHD is double the rate of actual ADHD among that group. So wow. they are being medicated when it is absolutely unwarranted and experts think that the medication is used to make them easier to manage at home and at school, wow. which is just so sad. Yeah, definitely. I know. I'm like getting worked up over here. <laughs> Rates of ADHD are similar around the world, but we consume more than 75% of the world's ADHD medication. Adolescent obesity is three times more common than it was in the 70s. One-sixth of adolescents are classified as obese. One-sixth. Another sixth are overweight. So that's a third of adolescents are either overweight or obese. And we lead the world in adolescent obesity and diabetes. Nearly one half of all people 19 to 25 suffer from a diagnosable psychiatric disorder in any given year. Wow. Most are substance dependence, but then they're also depression, anxiety, personality disorders. And these are not just limited to people from poor families. This is across the board. A comparison study of young people's mental health to one from 75 years ago that used the exact same measures found that five times as many teens and young adults are above the cutoff for a serious psychological problem, even when you take into account that today's youth are more likely to admit it. Wow. All this is to say we're doing something very wrong if this is the state of our adolescence today. I'm done with that very depressing statistics <laughs> section. I'm looking forward to some solutions, you know? know. I'm like, okay. Okay. So now he gets into a new approach. Changes that take place in the brain make us more easily excited, emotionally aroused, and prone to getting angry or upset. The changes that are taking place in the brain at this age. They're taking place a lot earlier than the changes that strengthen our self-regulation skills, which are controlling our thoughts, emotions, and actions. So we become more impulsive and excitable as adolescents. And then there's this big time lag between when that happens and when we are able to regulate effectively. When we can't self-regulate, we're more likely to experience depression, substance abuse, obesity, aggression, and risky behaviors. And since adolescence is so long now, there's a longer period between when we start to become more easily aroused and when self-regulation skills have matured. So we have this really imbalanced system for a lot longer than people used to. I'm going to read a quote here that he says, the capacity for self-regulation is probably the single most important contributor to achievement mental health and social success. So we cannot understate how important being able to self-regulate is at this age. Many studies have shown that teenagers who score high on measures of self-regulation do better overall, academically, socially, behaviorally, and emotionally. Developing self-regulation, therefore, should be the central task of adolescence. And we as professionals and parents and everybody working with these kids should have that as our main goal is helping kids develop self-regulation skills. Yes. We have to consider the experiences that these kids will have. So avoid potentially dangerous situations before the child has the ability to control himself. And we're going to talk more about self-regulation in chapters five 
through eight. You know, I did want to make a comment about self-regulation because when he said that, I realized, you know, that is a really big deal. So many things fall under the umbrella of self-regulation, like discipline, persistence, right? Like all of these things that were also coming up in Seeds of Learning. And I really, really want to know how we can encourage children to have more self-regulation because I feel like that explains so many things, you know, behavioral problems. I'm really curious about that. So that really got my brain going a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you just think about when you see him say it, you just go, okay, yeah, changes happen in the brain and then you don't have the ability to inhibit your response really, right? Like you just you could fly off the handle at any moment. You know, we see it with teenagers and it's kind of just like we always just go, oh, hormones. But it's not that like your brain has changed and your ability to regulate has not reached the level it needs to be. Exactly. So I like that even though he's listing out all of these like negatives, all of these like horrible statistics, at the same time, he's kind of defending teens. Like we need to give them a break because there's so many things that are happening biologically, physiologically, with their growth, with their development that we're not taking into account. And he's right. At some point in that chapter, he was talking about how we can charge an 18-year-old as an adult with an adult crime, yet they're not even allowed to drink yet. Like we look at them as being responsible enough for their actions that they can stand accountable in this way, yet at the same time, we don't trust them with alcohol. Yeah. And it's just he has a point, you know, and I like that he's at least standing up for them and trying to help people to understand. And also saying like, you know, we can't even really compare it to maybe our adolescence. Yeah. But you know, like even my parents, their period of adolescence was different, right? My dad's age was starting puberty later. And then by the time they were 18, a lot of them were going to the Vietnam War. Wow. You just think about it It's not really comparable if we're talking about kids who are in this like really extended limbo where, yeah, they don't, their brains are different. They don't have these skills. I don't know. It's just, I hope he's going to get into social media too. Cause I know my mind is always on social media. We cannot, we don't know anything about these kids nowadays because social media for me didn't exist in high school yet. So I don't know what these kids are going through. Well, and also think about self-regulation. Like we expect these children and adolescents to have the amount of self-regulation that an adult does. But at the same time, you know, social media and video games, all these things are created to incentivize having less self-regulation, right? Like they're treated as consumers where your attention is the top priority. And so apps like TikTok, you know, that we were just talking about are created to prevent you from having this self-regulation. And it's just this really sad cycle, yeah. you know, where it's like you have to have so much wherewithal to combat these things that are actively working to prevent you from the goal. It's just sad. Same with um, video games. I mean, thinking back to Loving Push, some of those tragic stories we read where these video games have psychologists and psychiatrists on their, the, the companies, they're creating them to just like, pull kids in and yeah if you don't have those self-regulation skills you waste your whole life away really playing video games for hours and hours and hours on end because you can't there's no way you could just say all right that's enough I need to go do this I need to work on my schoolwork I need to do you know it's like what are we doing to these kids yeah for sure okay I like that he tells us we're going to learn about self-regulation from chapters five through eight like we're gonna get it (laughs) 
<laughs> four chapters. Please, um, like we're dying for it now. <laughs> yeah, help us. Kids who do best are those who have resources for coping with adolescence. There's a widening gap between the haves and the have-nots that's not addressed or even recognized by educators and policymakers, which again, I was like, is it not recognized? I don't know. Most at risk are kids who grew up in poverty, but also in the working class and middle class. And we shouldn't be wondering if it's more valuable to invest time in the zero to three age range or the adolescent years. It's not this either or situation. We need both. Yeah. If we don't invest in the adolescent years, all the work that was done in those early years could just go to waste. So in the next chapter, we're really going to dive into brain plasticity. He says that since this is the second and final stage of heightened brain plasticity, it's the last big opportunity we have to put kids on the right path. So that's exciting. We're going to learn about plasticity and what we can be doing. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Hopefully it's not a depressing chapter that just tells us the sad state of Hmm. adolescence right now. Like if he's really going to give us information about the brain and what we can be doing to help. So I'm just excited to get started with this book. Obviously, I don't work with adolescents, but if we're thinking about the fact that adolescence starts at age 10, then it really does, you know, even the kids that I work with and the parents I talk to, I feel like this information is going to help me get them ready, know what's coming. Yes, right. A hundred percent. I do work with adolescents. And as I said, I'm at a middle school. So I'm Looking forward to learning about this. Hopefully it will help, you know, in general. I hope to share some knowledge, maybe recommend the book to some parents. I think it'd be really helpful. But yeah, I feel like for you at the middle school level, middle school is like such a confusing time for the adults around the kid. You know, like it's like, what is going on with these kids? And I feel like I could picture in an IEP meeting with everybody confused about a child's behavior or, you know, that you're able to go, well... (laughs) here's what might be going on you know have some perspective Uh, let me help yeah (laughs) okay so that concludes our first episode covering age of opportunity we'll see you next week when we discuss chapter two bye adrian bye laura the slp book club is not just a podcast it's a community go to our instagram at slp underscore book club to join the discussion and connect with us after each episode Want even more of the SLP Book Club? The resources we make to support the content of the books we read are available for free on our Patreon or at the Laura G. SLP Teachers Pay Teachers store. You can find links to them in the show notes. To learn more about the SLP Book Club, go to theslpbookclub.com. You can contact us by emailing hello at theslpbookclub.com. Follow us on Instagram at slp underscore book club or on TikTok at the SLP Book Club.